pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Matthew Gwynn, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. And we're here today with Cassandra King Conroy, novelist who has published a memoir of her life with fellow novelist Pat Conroy called Tell Me a Story. And it's a fantastic book, a real pleasure. And it's just such a warm book, such a warm and authentic memoir. Um, It really touches the heart of us fans. Will you say that Pat stormed into your placid life with the force of a Category 5 hurricane and nothing afterward was the same? Do you care to talk about that a little bit? I think Pat sort of stormed into life, period, you know, with the force of a of a hurricane because that was his personality type. He was, uh, you, you know, you hear so much about Pat and I, the weird words I've heard most are larger than life, and he was he was he was a force force of nature. He 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 was a large man with you know these really broad shoulders, and uh, he he had a large personality to go with it, and uh, so uh, he and I both had had gone through very difficult divorces and periods in our lives when we met each other and I think we were both whether we well I acknowledged it I you know can't really speak for him but um, looking for just some peace and quiet I certainly was not looking for a relationship as a matter of fact I was thinking that's the last thing you know that that I wanted at this point I'd just gotten out of you know very toxic, difficult one, and and certainly had no intention of getting into another. Uh, but uh, that was before I met Pat Conroy. <laughs> the the hurricane, hurricane Pat. Yes, it's a, you use a great <laughs> phrase in the book, uh, our battle-weary souls craved peace. And felt, if, if you know, at times it can feel like a, a battle, and after and afterward, a, you know, a, a divorce or, or separation, bad breakup, something like that, uh, can 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 feel like you you have been in in a battle of sorts, and you just are, are very tired. And you noticed by watching Pat in action when a writer's at the top, everyone wants a piece of you. It had to be utterly exhausting. And you were really going strong as a novelist when you met. I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious, how, how and there, by the way, the, the descriptions of you guys' parallel work processes just sounded like a perfect marriage. The, uh, he had your affection, but not always your attention. <laughs> and uh, that seems to be how. But how did you all make it work? Well, uh, I think it, there was a lot of a lot of factors in, in what made our marriage, I feel like, a very successful one. It had a lot to do with, uh, 
at our age. We were we were past fifty, and we didn't have any kids at home. <laughs> you know, that's minus a whole lot of complications, right? Right there. Uh, so you know, past really middle age, and and um, both of us tired of of turmoil, and you know. Uh, demanding relationships and and we we met each other at that that time in our life when when um you know it was just it was just good to be with someone who understood all that and then as writers uh that i don't know how a non-writer marries a writer (laughs) and the marriage works because I think you almost uh, any writers listening would uh, will understand it. But you almost have to be one to understand the um, the de- the demands on your attention, if nothing else. In in that, writers I think are always writing. You're writing in your head. You're creating characters. You know, even I guess a journalist. Uh, done a little bit of journalism, but but even at that, you're thinking about you know your next story and this sort of stuff, and you you have deadlines that you pretty much have to you know stick with. If, if you miss a deadline, your your book you know might miss a whole year before it can be published or whatever. So so a one a writer living with another writer understands all that and and doesn't then make the demands you know know, but you have to go with me to this party i don't care if you have a deadline you know Mm -hmm. that you that you might get otherwise yeah that that brings me to one of my favorite well i just need to tell you i was a high school uh kid reading the typical popular names in the 80s and my father came in from work one day, and my dad didn't read a book so much as he beat a book. And it was this <laughs> fat, mass market paperback, missing its front cover, the spine cracked. And he said, this is a fine book. You should read it. And it was the Lord's of Discipline. Oh, goodness. And I'm yes. a novelist because of that. Uh, yes, I, I totally understand that. My my son uh, actually read the Lord's of Discipline before I did, even though I, I was, after I'd read The Waters Wide, I was a huge, and, and the great Santini, huge fan of, of Pat's, but my oldest son uh, read it in, in a class, uh, his his English class, and, and came in, and he said, Mom, this is the most phenomenal book. It is just, he still talks about it. He still, you know, would probably say that's his favorite book, if, if I ask yeah, it so does. I understand that. I, yeah, I get I that. I imagine you've heard that I get before. That. Well, yeah, well, it's just taught so many of us that it doesn't have to be either literary or story. Yes. And uh, that you can write a compelling story that's really going to sweep readers up and keep them up at night and pay attention to the language and yes. love the language. I think that's what that's what Pat did uh, that, that made him, you know, so beloved by readers um, because he, he had an amazing uh, fan base. 
I've never, when I say I've never seen anything like it, I mean it literally. <laughs> literally, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a real commitment. Well, it was a real commitment yeah. to go get a book signed because you oh, were going to be there you were going to a be long there time in yeah. line. And, and his, he was just adored by his, his readers. And I totally get it. You know, I was same way. I've, I've just, he connected with readers and, and, in so so many ways, but I I think you're right. It wasn't just you know his his uh, uh, story and and people relating to his telling about you know abuse, uh, mm. uh, hazing, the the various uh, uh, teaching difficulties, these sort of things. Not just uh, the, the topics that he dealt with that that connected with readers it was also his as you were saying i like that that his his style that he didn't he he told he had commercially successful books but he was a poet you know Mm -hmm. just the most beautiful imagery and no one to me can can do a metaphor like he does. <laughs> he, I, uh, I had met him before at signings, but after I had gotten gotten out of grad school, um, I mentioned to him at a signing in Birmingham. I said I was James Dickey's personal assistant a couple of years ago, and he said, "Well, that makes us brothers." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought, yes, okay, <laughs> wonderful. But Dickey always, Mister Dickey, always <laughs> took credit for. Pat's career, right? Because <laughs> Pat took his poetry seminar and he said, son, your poems are so bad, you must stop. <laughs> right. He, and yet he, he wrote did. poetic novels yeah. uh, instead. He, it, it, there's in many ways different. I, I totally, you know, am in awe of, of writers like Ron Rash, who do both beautifully, mm-hmm. uh, and, and many, many others, of course. He just came to mind. But, but Pat... Um, I don't think he could write a poem. He could write an epic poem, maybe. Yeah, right. But but he couldn't pull off a regular Gilgamesh (laughs) too, exactly. (laughs) With palmettos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said in an essay called "Stories," some American writers are meaner than serial killers. Oh, he did, huh? He did. And he was warning young writers to be ready for reviews like that, competition oh, like yes. that. But, you know, I read your book. I'm, I'm amazed that the two of you weren't competitive, but obviously you couldn't have stayed together 18 years, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but why do you think Pat wasn't as mean as a serial killer? Because not many American writers could claim a childhood as brutal yeah, as his. Yeah, that's true. He was he was a gentle soul. Mm. And that is not to say he could not be tough and didn't have a sharp tongue and and could really, you know, he, he, he wasn't a pushover, anything like that. And don't, don't take me, you know, the wrong way on this, but, but he was, he had such a, a, a good heart, and he was he he was genuinely you know uh, uh, kind. He was he was kind uh, uh, to, to people mostly, uh, but he did not like people who weren't, and he didn't mind saying so, and he didn't mind saying so to their face. <laughs> you know, I'm always you know just trying to you know just. 
be nice anyway mm-hmm. or something like that. I avoid confrontation, not him. He he would jump right into it. <laughs> he was a fighter. He was a fighter. He, he was a warrior in his yes, own way. He really like was. His father. Yeah, I think that was his he his uh, his missile was his words. You know. Mm. Yeah. You question at one point for Pat was suffering so intertwined with creativity that he couldn't work without it and so we don't end up talking only about Pat <laughs> um, Could would I be rude to ask you that question is suffering intertwined with creativity for you or, and if not how do you avoid it wow that's, that's an interesting question because I certainly saw it with Pat and I don't think I've looked at it that much uh, with with myself but uh, I really wonder if it's if it's not because my first novel I uh, was was not very self-revealing or uh, uh, based on anything in my life mm-hmm. any of my own personal suffering no it is I think there's there's suf- suffering involved it's about homophobia in a small small town and uh, uh two young men you know searching for their for their sexual identity uh and, and a lot of things in the town the gossiping and and you know the petty the small-mindedness and so forth but i i felt like that was kind of more from observation but then my second novel was uh, highly autobiographical, The Sunday Wife, because I had been... The pastor's wife. I had been. I I went from from being married to to a preacher to being married to Pat Conroy. Talk about a leap of faith. (laughs) (laughs) Going going from one extreme to the other, absolutely. But... uh, uh, it, yeah, and there was a lot of a lot of difficulty and heartache and so forth in, in putting that book to you know uh, to paper because I mean that story to paper because I um, I had lived a, a lot of it. It was the first time in writing that that I really understood you know what what Pat had gone through with a lot of his. His uh, the kind of stories that he told that was so much out of his personal experiences and and his his suffering, but I did I did wonder at 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 the point after we married and he talked about he you know felt peace and tranquility maybe for the first time in in, in his life um, that it, would that affect his his writing you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wrote out of suffering, wrote himself out out of of heart, you know, heartbreak and and anguish and and this sort of stuff, how do you you don't write yourself out of you know <laughs> tranquil happiness, do you? Uh, and, and he didn't. He it turned out that he didn't. You know, he 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 wrote my losing season mm-hmm. uh, to really. Talk about how you learn more from from losing than you do from from always succeeding, mm-hmm. and the pain that's involved, and and you know uh, how it's just part of life and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah, and then went on to to uh, uh, South Abroad's a very dark, 
very dark and disturbing novel. Um, but then I think uh, he, the death of Santini, he worked through a lot of that. It's a beautiful book, it too. It really is. And I think with that, he worked through so much of of past ghosts, you know, resurrecting these, looking at them again from from uh, the viewpoint of an older man looking back on, on his life. Well, my sense from reading your book is that he wasn't ready to go, but yeah. that he died at peace. Is that accurate? That's that's really accurate. And, and he, he, he wasn't ready at my age. You know, now I think 70's not old. Uh-uh. Uh, when my mother died at age 70, I thought she was old, though I knew that was too, you know, too soon, but but now I don't, you know, and 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 Pat was working on a wonderful new book, about um, 150 pages, three or four chapters uh, of, of a beautiful new book he had started, uh, so no, he, he wasn't, he wasn't ready to go, but he was amazingly accepting of it once once he knew that that his illness was fatal well um you say at one point talking about two writers living together it's difficult to be intimate with someone whose mind is elsewhere but it seems like you were enormously productive have been enormously productive since you went from the preacher to the writer (laughs) or i should say the bestseller yeah did he help you with your work well, did he, he help you in spirit? He, he he certainly helped me. Uh, he 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 inspired me in so many ways, and he encouraged me. That was the main. I had not not anything I had before, well, except from teachers and you know uh, so forth. But uh, certainly not in my previous life, um, previous marriage. Because I was married to a preacher, and you know, I had this little hobby of of writing, which is a nice little thing to do. But I should be writing devotionals, you know, yeah. and and uh, uh, Easter pageants and things, which I which I did, and you know, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But you know, I had my own stories I wanted to tell, and um, and Pat was he was so encouraging. He he was. He was a, a sort of a natural mentor to to write because I was I was just starting out. I had been writing, but I had only written one you know novel when when we met, and uh, so he was sort of the pinnacle of his career, and I was just starting mine, and and he was in a perfect position to you know to to really uh, encourage me to go on with it and and to deal with with topics and. And uh, stories that I had avoided, not want, really wanted to to tackle. <laughs> well, you say at one point, first and foremost, Pat was a teacher. It's interesting how life changes our plans. You know, yes. he, after the water is wide, uh, after that period in his life, did he ever teach full time? After that, it, it's funny that you ask because I. Uh, uh, assumed that he did not because he started a career as a successful writer. Not too many folks, their first book gets made into a movie and, you know, it's a big bestseller like The Water's Wide. And uh, uh, so 
I, I just assumed he said something about teaching. We were talking about my teaching and so forth that that he missed it. And I said, uh, so, but you never you never really taught again. And he said he tried. He he tried tried to get a teaching job, and that was before the book. You know, while he was mm-hmm. he was working on the book, but uh, he had not written it, of course, because it was about his getting fired and. Then I thought, well, yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way, but he he couldn't get a teaching job because he was fired for uh, gross neglect of duty and conduct unbecoming a professional. So mm. nobody wanted to to touch that. That's pretty damning. Yes. Yeah. Put that on your resume and try. <laughs> yeah. See how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was so. Um, such a cheerleader to so many younger writers. It's it's as though that energy, and instead of he never tapped that entirely out the way one could over mm-hmm. a career as a as a yeah. teacher. And you've Indeed. taught. Yes, um, it's almost like it just came out of him everywhere else. Right. Um, with largesse, with blurbs, with advice. You know. And he would the, call. He would he would read a. Read a book uh, that he really liked, and and if he had access to a you know a phone number, because sometimes he would you know receive a letter with with the book saying, "Oh, Mr. Conroy, please." <laughs> yeah. And and he got so many he couldn't you know he couldn't possibly do all of them, but uh, a lot of times it was just you know it would just happen. He he would be away and have a stack, and and when he came back. You know, a lot of times the first one, the stack was who, who, who got the blurb or the phone call or something. But he always wanted to know. He did the same thing with me when we met. How did you come to write this book? Tell me about you know your path and and your your journey as a writer. And 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 I mean that's that's a I can't you know imagine a lot of writers taking that. I don't. I'd love to be able to do more of that, but but that takes a lot of your time and energy. You well, know? it's such a weird job once you're published because you do the work as an introvert, and then here you sit. Surely, somewhere on this tour, somebody will ask you. Uh, they, they somebody asked me one time on tour for my first novel. So James Dickey was your assistant. Oh, oh, and that's I thought, fabulous. oh, I'm glad he's not alive to hear that. Oh. He would come get me if he thought I had told them that. No, I was his assistant, as was most of the world in James Dickey's mind. In his mind, at least, huh? But, yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I can imagine because I know my publisher was really trying to get a blurb uh, from Pat, mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's it's like a a magic event. All things must align. Yeah, and it, 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 that that's more one true has to like you know. the book. And yes, more true for for a bestseller, I would think. Yes, than, yeah. No. Yeah, because he got so many requests, just stacks of, of books. Stacks of them. Yeah. <laughs> but then he did call himself the blurb slut and said he, <laughs> yeah. he, he gave out, a, uh, you know, more blurbs than any writer he knew. Yes. But he did that. Uh, I really think he did that out of a spirit of generosity. Oh, absolutely. And, and that teaching, you know, uh well, what what is a blurb but an endorsement? It's you know, an endorsement, and generally of endorsing an unknown new writer and saying, 
I, Pat Conroy, love yeah. this book. That's yes. that's a lot to ask it, it, it from is. a person. It is. And he was turned down for his first blur, blurb. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. He he told the story often of, of uh, <laughs> a writer that he had admired and, and sent the waters wide, had, had his publisher sent the waters uh, send the waters wide to to this person who said I wouldn't dream of of you know putting my name in such a you know oh. <laughs> an unknown book come on <laughs> oh, so yeah. I think that that you know it's it was sort of a blessing in disguise. Well, it seems like he lived his life every injustice he witnessed or suffered through he said i'm going to put two or three times the justice back in he the did. world he absolutely did that example i was thinking on the drive down here how fitting to be here today november 1st all saints day oh, that's right uh remembering yeah. this great man well there were so many just amazing sentences in your memoir but to me the if i had to pick the most riveting one it was, I could only hope our bond was strong enough to ward off the demons that would always call his name. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he he had had so many failed relationships and and said that he didn't grow up knowing how to to show love. Uh he he certainly had, you know, loving relationship with his mother and in his own way his father you know i think uh can it's i don't want to say understand colonel conroy because i it's it's hard for me to imagine anyone being cruel to kids you know mm-hmm. i have grandkids and of course my own children and i can't i have difficulty with that but uh uh, he, and he developed he, it he into did, a high art. He, did. To, <laughs> he certainly did. <laughs> seems like. Yeah. Well, I loved seeing uh, Pat said in my writing life that he kept James Dickey's poems 1957 to 1967 on his writing desk. Yes. And it was bittersweet that he his work turned up two or three times, but most especially in Pat's dying days when you all did the vigil and sat reading to him. Mm-hmm. And that took me back to Mr. Dickey's memorial on the horseshoe at South Carolina. And I guess you know what poem Pat read there. He read For the Last Wolverine. Oh, that was and, his favorite, I think. And God Gosh. made him to read that poem aloud. Exactly. <laughs> Let me, de- Lord, let me die, but not die out. I'll never forget. I know. I, and it, I think that goes back to what you were asking is, was he ready to go, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess he was ready to die, but not, not die, die out no, not die at out. all. Yeah. Well, thank you, Cassandra. And you. Tell Me a Story is a beautiful memoir. And you made me realize anybody who knows a writer in particular should read it because it's just a wonderful story of you two making these enormously productive careers work. Thank Thank, you for it. Thank you for having me. We want to thank Cassandra King Conroy for joining us today. Be sure to visit your local bookstore to purchase Tell Me a Story. 
and keep up with her online by checking out CassandraKingConroy.com. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.